Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, August 18, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are starting at the beginning of Chapter 9. No, I'm sorry. We're starting on page 125 in Chapter 9, The Family Afterward. Today's readers are as follows. Reading the 12 Steps will be Carolyn S. Reading the 12 Traditions will be Rabia. And reading the text will be Rick B., Devorah S., and Susie K. The share ID for Sunday, August 17th, is 6771. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Carolyn S. to read the OA 12 Steps. This is Carolyn S., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I pass. Thank you, Carolyn S. 
I will now ask Rabia to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, my beautiful fellow visionaries. This is Rabia, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, all readers anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, all readers anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Rabia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. While we typically read a paragraph or two at a time from the literature for chapters 8, 9, and 10, we are picking up the pace and reading about a page at a time. Then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 9, The Family Afterward, on page 125, the first paragraph which begins with, We Families of Alcoholics Anonymous. I will now ask Rick B. to get us started by reading three paragraphs ending in, Have Had Experience Galore, at the top of page 126. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. 
We families of Alcoholics Anonymous keep few skeletons in the closet. Everyone knows about the other's alcoholic troubles. This is a condition which in ordinary life would produce untold grief. There might be scandalous gossip, laughter at the expense of other people, and a tendency to take advantage of intimate information. Among us, these are rare occurrences. We do talk about each other a great deal, but we almost invariably temper such talk by a spirit of love and tolerance. Another principle we observe carefully is that we do not relate intimate experiences of another person unless we are sure he would approve. We find it better when possible to stick to our own stories. A man may criticize or laugh at himself, and it will affect others favorably, but criticism or ridicule coming from another often produces the contrary effect. Members of a family should watch such matters carefully, for one careless, inconsiderate remark has been known to raise the very devil. We alcoholics are sensitive people. It takes some of us a long time to outgrow that serious handicap. Many alcoholics are enthusiasts. They run to extremes. At the beginning of recovery, a man will take as a rule one of two directions. He may either plunge into a frantic attempt to get on his feet in business, or he may be so enthralled by his new life that he talks or thinks of little else. In either case, certain family problems will arise. With these, we have had experience go on. As I'm reading this, uh, you know, I thought of a, a couple of situations at meetings. And the, the text is, is talking about families discussing things with other families, which probably doesn't happen so much in Overeaters Anonymous. And it may not even happen that much in Alcoholics Anonymous, but when the book was written, I think the families were tighter and uh, probably formed deeper connections than families of alcoholics and certainly than families of compulsive overeaters. But nevertheless, um, <clears throat> the first sentence, we families of alcoholics keep few skeletons in the closet. So at first reading, you might say, well, we got to get everything out in the open. we got to expose all our dirty laundry. But the next sentence says, everyone knows about the other's alcoholic troubles. And I think that modifies the previous sentence. And I think that in OA, we have this deep desire to share our intimate details at meetings. And we think that somehow, um, by doing so, is doing a service to everybody. And sometimes I, I disagree with that. And I was at a meeting, a couple meetings this summer, where there were some pretty intimate details released at meetings that I don't think had much to do with uh, Overeaters Anonymous or the problem of overeating. And I actually felt kind of uncomfortable. So I, I think we have to be careful when we're sharing at meetings that we don't get into this, I got to get all my truth out and that's 
what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to tell our entire life history in every greedy, gory detail at a meeting out in public. We're supposed to do that on paper. We're supposed to do that with the sponsor. We're supposed to do that with God. And these <clears throat> these paragraphs are talking about our alcoholic troubles. And we see a big difference when we go to an AA meeting. There's, there's a lot of laughter. We laugh about the troubles we had with booze. And I don't know why, but it doesn't seem to be quite so funny when we're talking about food. And people keep that, keep that quiet, but yet they have this desire to uh, uncover the darkest details of their life and let them be known to everybody at the meeting. And I don't think that's the spirit of the paragraph. I think the spirit of these paragraphs is that we share our difficulties we had with food. We share our difficulties we had um, with addiction and not necessarily dig up every detail we had in the past. So um, I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thank you, Rick B. Who would like to share on this page that was just read? Hi, I'd like to share uh, something on it. Sure. Your name? Uh, my name is uh, Deborah, and uh, uh, it, it's just a small thing of it. Uh, I uh, uh, it was saying, you know, um, that we could get very upset uh, if people uh, make fun of us or what have you. I I uh, called up a fellow OAer last night, and I've been very upset about a personal relationship. Uh, I took somebody on vacation with me, and it was a terrible experience. And so I called this person up, and I had told her a little bit about it. And I mentioned it again later. We were talking about how to make certain foods and recipes. And then I mentioned again the girl that I had been on vacation with and uh, how I was rethinking it and how I was looking at it in a different way. And the woman said to me, well, um, I think, you know, you're you're talking about it too much and you're confusing yourself. And it made me very angry. And I said, no, I'm trying to unconfuse myself and try to understand why the vacation went so badly for me and why I'm eating so much over it. You know, and then I said, you know, you had some problem yesterday that was quite large. And my boyfriend and I helped you out. And I said, and by the way, F you, young lady. And I hung up on her. And I, uh, that that sensitivity and that anger came up because I thought, like the paragraph uh, mentioned, that she was ridiculing me on some level. Oh, look at you. You're talking about the same thing again, you know. And um, that's all I wanted to share on that. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Who else would like to share? This is Janice. Hi, Janice. 
Well, good morning to you, Rebecca, and everyone. My name is Janice. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Yeah, this is some very good instruction um, from experience talking. In other words, it was mentioned, you know, how we talk, you know, um, maybe at a meeting or with other people. And the purpose is to just tell our own story generally, generally, and with a three-point message, you know, what I was like, what happened, and what, what, how I am now and how my family is now through the extra, extraordinary life that recovery has brought us. You know, it says we do not talk about each other a great deal, but, but we almost invariably temper such talk by a spirit of love and tolerance. We're not here to, you know, uh, the sign of, of my illness, too, and, and alcoholics is uh, immaturity. You know, we're like, I'm like, I was like a little child in the family. Each one in my family is childish and grandiosity. We all have our own ego. You know, when we gossip, when we gossip, it's, it's just, you know, bringing our own ego up. And uh, we're not here to tear down people but to build them up, especially, you know, in the family. So that's what I see. And, you know, it does take maturity, you know, ability to control my anger and, uh, you know, to have patience. It's, it's very hard. It's hard to admit when I was wrong, to say I was wrong. And it's all a sign of maturity because we alcoholics, we compulsive overeaters are as sensitive people, which means I'm very touchy, you know, and perhaps, um, you know, others are too. So we have to be very careful, and it takes a lot of help uh, to inflate our ego and um, inflate other people's egos here. And this is what it's saying in the first couple of paragraphs. With that, I'm going to pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Who's next? This is Connie Yesen, I think uh, I heard Hannah Yetta and Larry, is that right? Yes. Mary T? Yes. And Mary T. Did I hear anyone besides the three I said? Okay, Hannah Yetta, go right ahead. Thank you. Um, my name is Hannah Yetta, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I... Um, just something just recently, like a couple of weeks ago, happened at work uh, when I was working for the summer. And so, something happened that I really did. Um, I was trying to share, you know, the um, the message of OA with somebody. And it was a, a young girl. And it really got blown out of shape. And so a lot of stuff was going on. And um, a decision was made that I really wasn't, uh, I didn't like. And I went back to the bosses and I said, I'd like to have another meeting with you. And they said, okay. And I went in and I first thing I said was, I know that I was wrong. I know that I should not have uh, even started this conversation at all with, with this girl. And, and, and I'm really sorry about that. You know, I made a wrong judgment call. But I certainly didn't do what they said I was doing. And, um, you know, but the outcome of that was that they were going to go to their boss and 
and reconsider their decision of what, you know, what the decision was about this incident. And um, it took a few days, and they got back to me. And one of the first things this, that my, uh, you know, my, my immediate supervisor said was, we, I, I have to tell you, first of all, we did not ever think that you did any of those things. She said, I also want to tell you that I am so impressed and I, and I admire you so much for coming to us and saying that you made a mistake. You weren't trying to blame anybody else. You weren't trying to get out of the situation. You and she said, and, and that is truly amazing. And, you know, I, the decision wasn't changed, but the acclimates that I got for making, just working my program, for just working my program, I got so much, so many compliments. And um, so if you have to have a decision not reversed that you wanted to have reversed, it's certainly a nice way to do it with a whole lot of compliments. But, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't for my program. So I wanted to share that. Thank you so much for letting me share. Thank I pass. You, Thank you, Hanietta. Larry? Good morning. Uh, thanks so much, Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. appreciate your service. Um, yeah, I focus in on, um, you know, what it talks about, about sensitivity. You know, um, I, I personally have an oversensitivity character defect. Um, imagine that. Yes, we uh, we with we compulsive overeaters are, are sensitive people, and we're reminded um, in what was read that it, it takes some of us a long time to outgrow that serious handicap. Um, and this this helps us in understanding within the families, um, you know, how to how to deal with this. Um, it's interesting that you know this notion of sensitivity. You know, we look at it. Sensitivity can you know it seems to can be understood in a couple of ways. Sensitivity oriented towards the feelings of others, you know, empathy, and then you know, of course, sensitivity oriented towards oneself in reaction to others. And you know, I find that. That, that both types of sensitivity can be linked to uh, deep emotional awareness or empathy, you know, which is, you know, which we understand is, is, is outwardly, you know, could be outwardly focused, but it's, it's also pointed inwards. So if you're like me, you know, people with intense feelings of inadequacy, you know, when I, when I uh, came into this program before I had a spiritual awakening, there was, you know, that um, sense of inadequacy or self-loathing. Now, I didn't know it at the time. I would have come across as quite confident and, and self-assured, but there wasn't much humility. And this process um, uh, of, of this practical program of action allowed me to, uh, to allow, you know, God in, and I was able to understand that better. And, you know, the feelings of inadequacy that compulsive readers have often takes things you know, said to them, you know, in the in, in the worst possible way, we take them, you know, deeply. We feel them deeply, and and self-loathers question everything about them. You know, double double guessing, you know, themselves at every turn, and then judging themselves too harshly, you know, for our perceived wrongdoing. So, for example, for me, every ambiguous text, you know, every uh, you know ambiguous uh, email. 
or, or every longer than usual break in communication was kind of like foreshadowing, you know, perhaps that the, you know, this was going to be the end of the relationship, the end of the working relationship, the end of the relationship with this person. So there was that, that constant, harsh, unrelenting self-judgment. What happens then, it becomes harsh judgment of others and then self, self-alienation. You know, we, we, we're isolators. What, what this program has done for me, by the grace of God, is now I have an other-centeredness that I couldn't think my way into. God, you know, placed that into my heart now and um, couldn't explain it to you why that is. But in, in my family now, you know, we can have discussions. We don't necessarily, you know, I, I don't have discussions with <clears throat> with everyone about my character flaws, but I can have them comfortably and with honesty where they, where I can be of service to God. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Mary T. Hi, this is Mary T. in Vermont, a recovering compulsive overeater living in the solution today. Um, so I just, looking at this, I see that, yeah, I'm definitely a very sensitive person. And uh, currently with my step work, I'm in doing step 10 a lot. And I feel like throughout the day, all day long, I'm, these things are coming up this step 10. And um, the program offers that spirit of love and tolerance. And I think about, I'm not sure if this is just romanticizing, but I imagine, you know, AA in the beginning and people meeting in each other's kitchens and this sense of life and death and urgency. And um, that was uh, in this fellowship. And so I'm trying to find the fellowship that I crave because I have one face-to-face meeting that I go to, and um, but not most people aren't working the program in this specific way that I'm um, embarking on, and uh, so it's challenging when I do, you know, reach out and um, trying to find people who do really understand um, what I'm, you know, working towards, and I can also be that many alcoholics are enthusiastic, and, you know, I just want to, like, run to my husband and tell him all the, you know, great things about this this program, and uh, so that's what really stands out for me, being sensitive and um, all of the things that are coming up in, you know, day to day and um, and how to how to work the program with that and, and live with, you know, my family um, and uh, this fellowship. Thank you. Thank you, Mary T. Would anyone else like to share before we move on? Sue? Rabia? Sue and Rabia. Go ahead, Sue. Hi. Good morning, everybody. My name is Sue V, and I'm in Connecticut Recovery, Compulsive Overeater. Um, this what came to mind, I'm definitely going to be brief, but I think what came to mind for me was just how important this is in the big picture of um, unity, you know, unity in a group, unity in our program, and um you know, how difficult it can be when when we don't practice, you know, this kind of restraint, I guess, and, and just, um, you know, carrying on other people's information, whatever someone's shared in a meeting. I mean, I've seen that kind of thing happen. Um, you know, it's one thing to talk about some. It definitely is one thing to talk about someone in, and like they say, temper, you know, temper the talk by a spirit of love and tolerance. But it's another to 
get a little ego boost out of it, a feeling of superiority as they talk about with, you know, gossip and things like that. So I guess it's just I've seen how, and, you know, you see it everywhere in the world, you know, judgment, criticism, it just doesn't serve, it doesn't serve anything real positive. Um, I've always tended to be, I mean, not that I haven't done my share of that for sure, but I've also tended to be one who, you know, a lot of denial, I'd rather just not address anything and, you know, not comment or criticize about anything because, you know, I don't even want to get into it. Um, so I've had to work, you know, work at that. So I don't know if that makes sense, but, but for me, it's, um, I have seen the damage that, and how, you know, it can be so hurtful to a a person. Often it can get back to them, things like that. And it damages our unity. And the unity for me, that's like so important. I mean, where would we be? Where would I be? You know? So, um, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Subi. Rabia? Good morning, everyone. I'm Rabia, a recovered compulsive overeater, and thank you, everyone, for sharing. I so appreciate hearing how to bring these principles into our families and our workplaces, our communities, and especially into our sick and suffering OA meetings. Um, so I'd like to share a modern-day miracle of these 12 steps. And I just spent the weekend with um, my husband's family, and as we were planning on picking his mother up at the airport Saturday, and she's 88, and her sister, who's 93, died that morning here and so we needed, we picked her up at the airport, and we had to tell her about her sister. And we were planning on going to visit her sister from the airport. So, so besides in the middle of raw grieving and bereavement all weekend, of course we were thrown into um, his whole family system. And he's the only one in recovery, and, and thank God he is. And so I, I spent the whole weekend with every sort of alcoholism, food addiction, chemical dependency, prescription drug, whatever. Um, and, um, and so I've always been critical and judgmental, you know, and I, I eventually gotten angry being in the midst of, um, I mean, I have a very sick family also, don't get me wrong. Um, um, so this time I, I asked God to join me um, and see everybody as spiritually sick and go with the spirit of love and kindness and patience and tolerance. And, um, and, and there I was, making eye contact with everybody, being calm, being kind, eating my bowl of veggies in the middle of every sort of addictive substance you could possibly have imagined. Um, and... And and the miracle, the the miracle of these living in these twelve steps is that God was so present in me and around me because I was able to see God in all these dear suffering people, suffering in their addictions, suffering in their grief, um, and, and not blame them. And I was able to see myself in every single person in the delusion that they all live in. Everybody has their own story it's through the eyes of addiction, that the delusion, and able to 
because I've just done my ninth steps, and I'm just recently recovered, and now I'm doing fifth steps, thank you, God, with others. And and so more and more just seeing the life of the addict and how delusional we are and um, and just seeing all of it with loving kindness. And it is to bring, and I'll end by saying, to bring these 12 steps into our family system is such a beautiful miracle. And with that, I pass, and thank you all for my recovery. Thank you, Rabia. Devorah, can I share? Uh, Is this Devorah S.? Yes, can I just share on this a little bit? Sure, go ahead, and then we're going to have you read. Okay, thank you. Hi, everybody, this is Devorah S. from New Jersey. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. And, you know, um, it says here we alcoholics are sensitive people. You know, I, I can tear apart a comment to somebody uh, yeah, that someone makes to me, and I could think about it and obsess over it. And yeah, it's all in my head. Oh, did they really mean this? Did they really mean that? And just, like, you know, tear it apart, and it becomes so, um, you know, like on and on and on and on. And um, so we are sensitive people, and thank God in this program I'm working the steps, I don't have to go there anymore. Um, But what I need to do is to become, you know, it talks about in the first paragraph that was read, um, that, you know, it's possible to dig up past misdeeds so they become a blight, a veritable plague. How easy is it for me me to remember, you know, other persons, people's um, shortcomings and mistakes that they have made and to bring it up at a time, you know, when I'm feeling uncomfortable or when I'm in pain or whatever and to point out something that has happened between us, you know. That's when the real sensitivity towards others kick in. I need to, you know, not bring up that stuff, you know, and and just let bygones speak bygones. what is the point of dredging up old stuff so that what? That I should get, you know, you know that I should feel good about myself, that but this person did this to me, you know? A recovered person, you know, just is, is, is I, I feel is someone who, who lets things go and doesn't dwell on that. And I'm um, so grateful for this program and the steps that we take each day that gives us a way of living and um, and that I don't have to live like that today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah S. And I will now ask you, Devorah, to please continue reading with the next three paragraphs, beginning at the top of page 126 with We Think It Dangerous, through the top of page 127, ending with Love and Spiritual Understanding. Okay, we think it is dangerous. We think it dangerous if he rushes headlong at his economic problem. The family will be affected also, pleasantly at first, as they feel their money, troubles are about to be solved. Then not so pleasantly as they find themselves neglected. Dad may be tired at night and preoccupied by day. He may take small interest in the children and may show irritation when reproved for his delinquencies. If not irritable, he may seem dull and boring, not gay and affectionate as the family would like him to be. Mother may complain of an intention. They are all disappointed and often let him feel it. Beginning with such complaints, a barrier arises. He is straining every nerve to make up for lost time. He is striving to recover fortune and reputation and feeling he is doing very well. 
Sometimes mother and children don't think so. Having been neglected and misused at the past, they think father owes them more than they are getting. They want him to make a fuss over them. They expect him to give them the nice times they used to have before he drank so much and to show his contrition for what they suffered. But dad doesn't give freely of himself. Resentment grows. He becomes still less communicative. Sometimes he explodes over a trifle, but perhaps the family is mystified. They criticize, pointing out how he's falling down on his spiritual program. This sort of thing can be avoided. Both father and family are mistaken, though. Each side may have some justification. It is of little use to argue and only make the impasse worse. The family must realize that dad, though marvelously improved, is still convalescing. They should be thankful he is sober and able to be of this world once more. Let them praise his progress. Let them remember that his drinking wrought all kinds of damage and may take long to repair. If they sense these things, they will not take so seriously his periods of crankiness, depression, or apathy, which will disappear when there is tolerance, love, and spiritual understanding. Wow. This par- these paragraphs say a lot, and, um, and I, I feel it's talking to me. Um, especially, um, you know, I, I, I was, I was working this program for many, many years being abstinent, you know, just having abstinence. And I have to say it wasn't, um, you know, uh, um, you know, like I was holding on to abstinence for dear life. I wasn't craving. I did not have the obsession of the mind. I did work the steps in various forms, but never liked it what has been written in this book until the last two years or so. And, um, but what happened for me was that, you know, here I am abstinent and I'm watching my husband as well. He's abstinent too, but I'm looking at him and saying like, how come, you know, things are not better between us after all, we're both abstinent and I'm getting into criticism and I'm getting into, um, looking at him judgmentally, and I'm looking, and I'm, I'm like, why is he spending so much time doing this and this, and why isn't he spending so much time with me, and, you know, what's going on here, and, like, just feeling so, so, like, neglected, and not cared for, or appreciated, and in the dumps, and blah, 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 until I started working this program, and I needed to put the focus on myself getting better. You know, thank God the food was down, um, so I didn't have to struggle with that, but I needed to change. I needed to bring about that psychic change, and for me, it was right away um, looking towards my husband, you know, it's tolerance, love, and spiritual understanding. You know, keep saying, you know, the sick man's prayer, um, keep doing those turnarounds, and seeing my part in things, and all of a sudden, I... Uh, something emerged. Something I look now. I look at my husband differently. It's 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 a miracle, and only because you know I adhered to this these steps. I worked the program. I worked the steps, and um, I don't look at my husband like that anymore. Um, and I'm just so grateful um, that I have, like I said before, a new lease on life. And um, and um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah S. Who would like Sarah. to Sarah. This is Bella. Can I share? And Bella. 
Hillary. Hillary. Anyone else want to get in the queue? Okay. Sarah, go right ahead. Uh, good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah W. I'm grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, this, you know, I just love this chapter. It's just really um, so important for my recovery, for our recovery. Um, you know, if if there's any place where I have struggled, it is within my family in recovery, and that is because I have a lot of history with these people. Um, early on in recovery. You know, I had that that sense that um, where it says he may take small interest in the children, may show irritation when reproved for his delinquencies. Because I have history, uh, and I I have some sense of remorse. Um, and although I've worked my steps, when I look at certain people within my family that I know I have wronged, even though I have done a ninth step and worked around it, uh, worked through it, I should say. Um, you know, still those things come up where I have to uh, take ownership of um, a lot of the effects that I've had on my children, on my um, relationships within the family. And so it's much easier for me to go into recovery uh, and go to meetings and feel that love that you feel at the meetings and struggle with dealing with family situations. Um, so I guess my, my comment really is all about, um, you know, uh, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, these, these feelings that come up with, with our loved ones, you know, feeling neglected and misused in the past, um, their father, owes, they feel their father, owes them more than they're getting. And I think that happens a lot uh, with, with our families. Um, you know, they, they feel neglected. They want our attention. And yet when we're in the midst of really trying to get recovered and even uh, onward, you know, we, we're working on ourselves and trying to be the best people we can be and learn how to relearn how to live this life and do life um, in a, in a less selfish way, um, and uh, you know, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, what's what's my business, what's God's business, and what's none of my business, you know, and that's really what I need to look at. So, you know, I need to discern that what is my business, what's God's business, and what's none of my business, and it, it's it's kind of like in in helping my children, you know, as as a sixteen year old young man, what should I allow him to do? What should I step in to do? Um, you know, how much um, control should I have? Those sort of things need to come into play in my family situation. And I think in AA, um, uh, old AA, or even now, there's a lot more involvement in families. You know, when you sponsor an AA, you are talking so much about families. You know, it, it is so much about, you know, what are we doing? And, and in a way, it's a little different. It, it is so focused on food, um, and I don't know why that is, but I think it's really important that, because I think, you know, the food isn't jumping into my mouth. The food goes into my mouth because of the feelings I have about myself and about my family and my sensitivities. So, you know, I need to deal with those things as they come up with a sponsor 
not bring them into a meeting, but deal with them with a sponsor and, and deal with them uh, with my higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Bella? Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Rebecca, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. I love this paragraph, special the last sentence, and spiritual understanding. Yes, thank you, God, that now I am in the program, and I understand what means spiritual understanding. And it brings me back to the first step, to accept and admit that I am powerless. And I am powerless not because I am not smart, not because I, I am not rich. I am powerless because I am human. And this is the way that God created me. And nobody, no human can be perfect. There is no perfect human. And I am connected to the higher power, that the higher power that for me is God, he is the perfect. And I am here to give over his message and not my ego message. So when I am powerless, and I am powerless over the food, I am powerless over other people's behavior and actions. I am powerless over my children's behavior. I can accept other people because other people, they are messengers too from God to me that I have here an opportunity to learn from everyone, from everything all the time. And when I am connected to God, when I have this spiritual understanding, I can tolerance and love. I can understand other people. I don't have to get angry because nobody is doing things against me because now I am not with my ego. My ego is not driving my life anymore. Now God is driving my life. And there is no punishment. No, only God is giving me messages. Sometimes it's not, it's not so easy for me. Sometimes maybe it's painful. But I am connected to God. I have this spiritual understanding. And I have to pause and to say, wait a minute. What is the message that God has now for me? And... Sometimes it's easier than others, and this is all about one day at a time. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Hillary? Hi, thank you. This is Hillary. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Western New York. And what's jumping out on me, out at me here in these uh, paragraphs is, well, first of all, the title is The Family Afterward, which implies after recovery, right? So um, as a recovered compulsive eater, what I've learned in going through these steps, taking the action, turning my will and my life over to the power of God, um, that, you know, I've had a deep and effective spiritual experience. It talks about this on page 25. 
that's revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and towards God's universe. So I've learned that um, what I do today is ask God in the morning and throughout the day, how can I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. And when I'm dealing with family members, and it tells us in the beginning of this chapter that, you know, the family of the compulsive reader is sick too. Um, so I know that I'm dealing with people who are quite probably spiritually ill as, as am I. So I need to get it that um, expectations for me were the lenses through which I viewed the world. And if I expect my family to suddenly behave in a way that supports my recovery, I'm, I'm in trouble. And, you know, human aid, I was way beyond human aid and still am. It's God that restores me to sanity on a daily basis. So, you know, I need to not expect people in my world to live by these wonderful, beautiful, God-inspired 12 steps that I live by today. Um, and, you know, there is going to be unmanageability um, and there is going to be uh, people with expectations on me, family members and all that. As long as I am working with a recovery sponsor and I am keeping in close close contact with God, I no longer have to fight anything or anyone. It tells us in the promises that we cease that fighting. Um, and it also tells us that um, if we've carefully follow directions, we have begun to send the flow of the Spirit into us. And so, you know, I don't have to be right anymore. That fear of being wrong is, is not, does not mean what it used to mean to me. Um, you know, I take advantage of the fact that I'm in a position of neutrality, safe and protected, and as long as I continue to follow these um, 12 steps, precisely as they're laid out in this book, and I practice our code and our our function of love and tolerance and understanding and kindness. Um, things turn out okay. You know, I don't need any longer to um, talk to a whole group about what is wrong in my life and how people have wronged me. You know, that was all taken care of in my fourth, fifth, eighth, and ninth step. So today I do my best to bring love and understanding into my family I listen, I'm quick to admit, you know, on my best days where I'm wrong and um, make an amends for it. And I remember that my family, when there are times when it's, it feels like it's not ever good enough, you know, I can't do enough, it's never going to make everyone happy. Well, that's reality. It's not. But I'm going to do my best and um, it tells us in... Um, to the wives that at some point we just say, okay, you know what, this argument's getting kind of heated. Maybe we should stop for a minute. And, you know, that's just the way to do it. We do things with love now. We don't fight back. Um, the need to defend myself now has been removed. Um, as long as, but but what I, and also what I know today is, is I don't sit and gossip, judge, or criticize with others. I might take my feelings of anger, resentment, fear um, to my sponsor in a 10th step. But I don't need to sit around and gossip about them to others or in meetings because that does not benefit me, them, or the other people in the meetings. 
you know, our our primary purpose is is to be of service, maximum service to God and others, and that's not what I'm doing when I'm sitting in meetings talking about people. Um, And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Hillary. Who else would like to share on what we've read? Uh, this is Betty. I would like to share. I'm this a conversation. Before Betty, I heard another voice. Who was that? This is Janice. I heard Janice and someone else. Rakesis? Okay, did I hear three people, Ellie. Janice, Rakesis, and Betty, or was there someone else? This is Karen. Okay, I passed. Was it Sharon? Karen C. Oh, Karen. Karen C. Oh, you know what? Um, we only have three minutes. I think I heard Janice first, and um, she may be our last person to share. Um, we'll see how I it goes. I thought there was a Gladys. Gladys had said her name first. Was there a Gladys, not a Janice? This is Janice. Did you say Gladys or Janice? Janice. Janice. Okay. I'm sorry, everyone. Luckily, we have another hour. Go ahead, Janice. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So, you know, this, this has always been a chapter that spoke to me so beautifully, you know, this chapter, the family afterwards, because I was reminded that, first of all, we're being talked to in this chapter by people who had experience. You know, we, although this book is written by recovered alcoholics, they also put this chapter in here just for me, because it's written by people in the family afterwards who had experience, who could help us and show us some of what was going to be in store. You know, because nothing could happen until I put down the food. Nothing could happen. So becoming abstinent, becoming food sober, had to be the first thing. But then what's going to happen afterwards? You know, the doorway opened to this new reality. And if I'm working the 12 steps and doing everything I can to be in that place, where that spiritual experience, that spiritual transformation is there for me, then how am I going to be with my family then afterwards? And I'm so grateful that they showed us by their experience that we have to come to a place of common ground, that we have to come to this place where everybody's on equal footing, that it's not the alcoholic wrapped in cotton wool, they say, you know, being carefully protected that all family members were affected by the disease and now all family members can be affected in the recovery process. You know, so it it kind of puts my ego in its proper perspective. You know, it, it gets me looking more clearly at those people surrounding me that I affected with my illness. And what am I going to do about that today? You know, they, call, they tell us it's a process of deflation. And it may, be, it may be part of what happens to them too, but I can't be too concerned about that. 
You know, I have to stay in a place where each is interested in having his or her wishes respected, and I have to become a good listener to that. You know, I have to hear and not be so quick to respond. I have to become a better listener and, and try to be in cooperation and consideration. That's what I'm being taught. You know, and each wants to play the lead and each wants to have their, their um, reality put out there. And I can be, become better at that. You know, I cannot be king baby anymore. I can become a part of this family in ways that I never could before. And I'm very grateful for that. So thank you so much for letting me share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. We have run out of time. I apologize to those who wanted to speak, whose names I took and didn't, wasn't able to get to in this first hour. Um, Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Susie Kay please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. Susie Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Maine. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.